Welcome to episode five of Digging Into Diabetes. Today, we're gonna to be talking about mental health and diabetes, how these two topics go together and how Covler in particular addresses the mental health needs of its patients. According to the CDC, people with diabetes are two to three times more likely to have depression and 20% more likely to have anxiety than those without diabetes. The interesting thing about stress and diabetes is that the management of diabetes can cause stress, but stress itself can make diabetes more difficult to manage, so it can become a very difficult cycle. And before you blame me for stating the obvious, I know, it's harder to do pretty much anything under stress, but it's not just the emotional toll of stress that makes diabetes harder to manage. When you're stressed, your body releases hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline, both of which allow you to experience the fight-or-flight response. Cortisol in particular does so by releasing glucose from the liver, where it's normally stored, into the bloodstream so that your body can use it for energy if you need to fight or flee from your stressor. When someone's under a lot of stress, their body releases cortisol frequently, meaning that their blood sugar experiences frequent spikes. These spikes can essentially wear out insulin receptors and lead to a need for larger amounts of insulin in order to process the same amount of sugar. Over time, this has the potential to lead to diabetes or increased insulin resistance in people with diabetes. All this to say, mental health is an incredibly important but often overlooked aspect of diabetes management. Luckily, Kovler has several resources to make sure that our patients' mental health needs are directly addressed. Our first guest today is Dr. Tina Drosos, a clinical psychologist who leads Kovler's health and wellness team. I'll have her tell you about this program. So our health and wellness program is our psychosocial or our mental health program at the Kovler Diabetes Center. We are embedded or co-located within the Kovler Diabetes Center, and we see patients alongside the medical providers. I am a clinical health psychologist, and I direct the health and wellness program at Kovler, and I've been working in this space for over a decade. Uh, my team consists of me as a director and a team of clinical psychology PhD students who staff the clinic five days a week. So meaning we have psychosocial support in the diabetes clinic every day of the week when we see patients. And they're able to see patients who are coming in for their endocrinology or their diabetes appointments. And essentially how it works is that any provider who sees a patient can make a referral to the health and wellness program. And we will then either see the patient on the spot or patients can schedule on a different date at their convenience. Once we see the patient, we conduct an assessment and make recommendations which we share with the treatment team and the patients and the family. We're also then able to follow up with patients during their subsequent endocrinology appointments to ensure they're receiving the mental health support they need and that their mental health symptoms are better managed. This is such an amazing and necessary resource that I assumed it was pretty typical for outpatient clinics to have something that resembles the health and wellness team here at Kobler. Unfortunately, I was surprised to learn that this is a pretty unique program that we have. It certainly exists in other places and within other specialties, but it's by no means the norm. I asked Dr. Drosos her thoughts on the value of this program. Yeah, so that's a great question. So being embedded in the clinic or having mental health support in a clinic, in a medical clinic, uh, really helps with access to mental health services because patients are able to receive care or mental health care when they come in for their endocrinology appointments. And if there is a mental health concern, it can begin to be addressed in the clinic as opposed for patients trying to navigate the process of securing mental health care on their own. We try to meet new patients also at diagnosis so they realize that at Kovler, your mental health is just as important as your diabetes care, and we recognize the difficulty of managing diabetes and the toll it can take on one's mental health. 
Our model of care, so being embedded in the clinic, also helps with destigmatizing mental health because all of our providers are in the same clinic space. And our endocrinologists are paying attention to the patient's diabetes, but also to their mental health. And discussing these concerns at the appointments, making referrals right there in the clinic, which I think can be really helpful for patients with regards to seeking mental health care. And your question about um, should we have psychosocial support in other medical subspecialty clinics? So yes, and that is true, and that happens across the country in different institutions. There are what's called health psychologists who are either co-located or embedded in medical subspecialty clinics and see patients alongside medical providers. As I previously mentioned, people with diabetes are about three times more likely to have depression than those without it. But why is this the case? I asked Dr. Drosos to help us understand this comorbidity and also what we can do to prevent it. Um, caring for a chronic illness like diabetes can be exhausting because diabetes management and diabetes disease is a 24-7 disease. It's not like patients can take a break from it for a day or two. And that can feel very daunting and isolating. So those who are potentially prone to depression can start to experience symptoms if they feel the above way, so if they feel hopeless or overwhelmed. So what we can do to try to prevent the development of depression is being more proactive. We need to be conducting depression screening during patients' endocrinology appointments and be offering mental health services to those who score higher on those screenings or who the, to those who appear to be at risk for depression. Uh, this can include individual therapy or even group therapy. Group therapy can be particularly effective um, with this patient population because patients can actually support each other. And we do offer some groups through the Kohler Diabetes Center and patients do find these helpful. So we are continuing to run these groups as well. And then for patients who need individual support, we refer them out to um, psychologists or psychiatrists or social workers that can provide that mental health support. As Dr. Drosis just said, you can't just take a day off from diabetes. It's something you have to tend to every day, and that everyday regimen often requires more than just taking a pill in the mornings. Especially for newly diagnosed patients, it can be anxiety-inducing to suddenly have to worry about things like blood sugar and diet that you may have previously never thought twice about. I asked Dr. Drosos, diabetes obviously requires patients to be diligent and stay on top of their treatment and care. How do you help patients stay attentive to their disease without it taking over their lives? Yeah, so this is a great question also because one really important thing that can happen with um, diabetes management is something called diabetes burnout. So diabetes burnout is a state in which someone with diabetes grows just tired of man managing their condition and then they either simply ignore it for a period of time or even longer. And that of course um, can have some really negative consequences. And the most common way that diabetes burnout presents is as non-adherence. So many patients cite diabetes burnout as the main reason for not following through with their diabetes regimen. So when a patient feels burnt out and overwhelmed, likely what starts to happen is they might miss some glucose checks, they might not bolus, or they might even miss doctor's appointments. Um, and essentially overall, not following through with diabetes management. Burnout can also present as depression, and this is another reason why their depression rates could be higher or are higher in patients with diabetes, and burnout could be another explanation for that. That being said, we do try to help patients uh, with some ways to prevent burnout and feeling overwhelmed. So we talk to patients about scheduling some free time or some breaks in their day uh, where they're doing something that they enjoy, even if it's for a few minutes. 
We help patients identify a support person, someone who they can rely on, but also someone maybe who can take over the diabetes regimen for them if they're feeling burnt out for a day or two a week or whatever the time frame might be. Um, in addition to identifying a support person, we really encourage patients to find social support group opportunities with other patients with chronic illnesses that may include diabetes. It doesn't need to necessarily be diabetes, um, but we do try to find opportunities for patients to talk to other patients who are managing a chronic illness. Um, we also talk to patients about scheduling and some exercise and some physical activity. And the other thing that we do is we teach some strategies that the patients can use to prevent diabetes burnout when they're feeling overwhelmed. So a really um, popular um, intervention right now that's gaining a lot of um, evidence in the research world is the idea of mindfulness. So in a, in a nutshell, you learn to focus on what you're feeling and sensing in the moment without interpretation or judgment to help you better manage your emotions. And an example of a strategy within mindfulness is something called relaxation, which um, probably most of you have heard more about. And through relaxation strategies like deep breathing or guided imagery or progressive muscle relaxation, you learn how to decrease the impact of stress on yourself and your body by actively working to calm your mind and your body. So those are just some strategies that we use for patients um, that we teach them in the clinic um, if we see them once or twice or during their appointment. Um, if they need more ongoing um, therapy, the most evidence-based approach um, with depression and diabetes is a strategy called cognitive behavior therapy. And this is an intervention approach that helps patients learn how to identify and change negative thoughts that have an impact on feelings and behaviors. That's more a little bit of a longer term intervention. And so that's something that patients would really begin to initiate some individual therapy with a psychologist or a social worker in order to work on that. These things that Dr. Drosos mentioned, exercise, meditation, making time for activities you enjoy, they're not just great for mental health and preventing a sense of burnout, but they're also beneficial to your physical health as well. This is why the mind-body connection is so talked about these days. On that note, I asked Dr. Drosos if she notices that patients who care for their mental health tend to have better physical health as well. Yes, that is critical. I think caring for your mental health can improve physical health. Uh, and the opposite is also true. So decreased mental health can negatively affect your physical health. And there is evidence to suggest, there's a, a lot of research studies showing that having better psychological health or better mental health can reduce the risk of some physical health conditions. Um, that literature is particularly strong in the area of heart disease. But for diabetes, also there is evidence. And for diabetes, it's really a two-way street, so to speak where untreated mental health issues can make diabetes worse, but also problems with diabetes can make mental health problems worse. So that goes both ways. Um, and this is why talking about mental health is so, so important and why our health and wellness program within the COVID Diabetes Center is so critical in that when we see patients, we can address their diabetes, their physical condition, but also simultaneously address their mental health condition, so more holistic care. So now that we've heard from Dr. Drosos about mental health and the health and wellness team here at Kovler, I want to hear from someone else who does a lot of work with mental health. Taylor Mills Mossing joined Kovler about a year ago as the first social worker dedicated solely to our clinic. 
I'm curious to know how Taylor's role as a social worker differs from Dr. Drosos's role as a clinical psychologist with the health and wellness team. So I ask her, Taylor, we just spoke to Dr. Drosos about the health and wellness team. I imagine that some of your work overlaps since you both have a focus on mental health, but there are many differences in your roles too. What are some of these similarities and differences? Um, some of the similarities between me and the health and wellness team is, um, obviously we are both, uh, by trade sort of differently trained to be able to, um, kind of have those skills in the moment when talking to patients about active listening, providing empathy, um, and all that sort of stuff. And, Though their focus is more on it, mine is more about focusing on advocating for the patient and giving them kind of more self-sense of empowerment. And then I'm like the resource provider person. Like they are the ones who will like help provide them therapy and then help continue them to go on to more long-term therapy. I can do the similar thing. My role in this case is I would be talking to them more to find the barriers of what's happening, like more social issues. Like the reason like they're not coming to um, an appointment is because they don't have a ride. So then I'm just going to help them figure out like what transportation they can use to get them here. Um, So I'm kind of like the box of resources. Um, So that's how my role kind of goes a little bit differently than theirs. Um, but we have had patients that have had, um, lots of mental health and health and wellness sometimes know them more before I do. And then, um, we often have like worked together where I'm like helping them get them set up somewhere. They're still going to also talk to health and wellness too. So it's, um, they're very similar, but like I said, theirs is more like focusing on the mental health for sure. But then mine is also looking at like what type of social issues are in the way of whatever they're trying to accomplish and kind of almost everything else. So while there's certainly some overlap, social work has its own unique value within the clinic. Let's hear from Taylor about that value. I would say it's been super helpful, mainly because the community that we're in, in University of Chicago or in the South Side of Chicago, there is a lower socioeconomic status. It is a predominantly Black, African-American, Hispanic community. So with that, there are a lot of medical disparities um, that are very obvious. And with that, a social worker is super helpful to be able to kind of provide those resources that maybe someone had no idea they had access to, or maybe somebody who lives in a more affluent neighborhood would have wouldn't blink an eye and knows how to do that. Um, So it's about giving them kind of more tools. So, and then especially with this diabetes community, we're noticing kind of like an uphill of diagnoses. So helping all of these families and the patient, um, a social worker really can help um, provide these resources and stuff that often are a barrier to just even getting simple um, basic medical care. In some ways, Taylor's work starts before Dr. Drosos' work. As Dr. Drosos mentioned, preventative care is such an important aspect of mental health. So if Taylor can help patients overcome stressful barriers to the management of their diabetes, the risk of developing depression or anxiety may decrease. So what challenges or barriers does Taylor assist with most often? Transportation, obviously, because I've mentioned that multiple times already. Um, A lot of them just don't have a ride. I mean, in Chicago, most people don't own a car. And then a lot of these patients, like, wouldn't be able to afford a lift. So for us, it's like a basic, simple, just looking at their insurance and knowing if they provide transportation or not, or me trying to find some type of like 
volunteer group or like very much discounted transportation. Um, I also help them like navigate how to figure out like, is this the insurance plan that I'm in, whether they're in network or out of network, especially at UFC. Um, and then kind of giving them instructions, guidance that they kind of have to do um, to be able to switch it. And then another thing, like I said, is just more like random resources that keep in their way. Like some people, we find out that like their diet is really poor. So we end up taking them to um, like showing them access to food pantries um, or showing them that um, we just found out this really great resource like farm that we could maybe hopefully have a connection within the community for. Um, and then there's things like like helping parents with the 504 plans, getting ready for school and making sure that their child has all the proper accommodations needed. And then obvious is on um, working with DCFS and helping that relationship between us and the clinic and the family um, and ideally helping them resolve everything and me making sure that like on our end, we're doing the best we can to keep them educated and up on board on their medical care. Whereas DCFS is working on kind of like more of the behaviors and family dynamics at home. These are by no means easy obstacles to overcome. I got to spend a day in the clinic with Taylor and was surprised not only by the complexity of the problems she encounters, but also by the grace with which she handles these problems and her problem-solving skills. It's clearly something she loves to do. So my final question for her is, what is the most rewarding part of your job? The most rewarding part of this job, um, I would say is for me, something that's really rewarding is when I meet a patient and they know who I am and they were just playing catch up. It's kind of like one of the greatest things when a patient comes in and I know them, it's because I've worked with them in the past. And then especially if they remember me, it's just like such a rewarding thing in that they think that it's like life-changing, but all I did was like help set them up a cab service, but like to them, that's a big deal. So um, getting kind of those relationships building um, over the last year have been really exciting to have and just um, really getting to know the community more has been super great. Taylor's job is obviously way more complex than just calling somebody a cab. After all, mental health can be incredibly challenging. That being said, sometimes it's the little things that make someone's day, and Taylor's here to do just that. She never overlooks details, however small, that could really help someone out. That concludes today's episode, episode 5 of Digging Into Diabetes. Whether or not you yourself have diabetes, I think it's important to understand the mind-body connection and take the time to do things that improve both your physical and mental health. Next week, we'll be talking about access to diabetes medications and technology. I hope you'll join me soon. Thank you.